Last week we started our uh, sermon series on the book of Esther. And you should definitely go check that out if you missed it last week, those of you online, in person. If you missed it last week, you could go to the Facebook app and watch it there. You could, uh, you could go to the CBC app, YouTube, or the website and go and check out. Anytime that uh, you miss a sermon, we encourage you to go and, and jump in there and make sure you join with us. But the life of Esther is all about how even when God is silent, he is still working. We left off last week in a pivotal point in the life of Esther. But before we go forward, let's recap real quick. We saw Esther was an orphan who became queen by a kingdom-wide beauty contest. And her cousin Mordecai, who raised her, got a job protecting the gate of the king. But Mordecai would not bow down to one of the counselors of the king named Haman, who was in charge of all the servants and all the princes. He wouldn't worship this guy that was just a man. He knew he could only worship and bow to God. Well, Haman found out about how cousin Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And then he found out that Mordecai was a Jew and he hated the Jews. So Haman went about tricking the king into commanding that all the Jews in the kingdom of Persia would be killed. So Mordecai and Esther and their people uh, obviously are scared to death. They're afraid because in Persian law, once this decree had come out from the king, no one could reverse it, even the king. It could not be undone. So it looked hopeless. It looked like there would be a genocide. But God had a plan. But cousin Mordecai and Esther were distressed, and they start to talk back and forth to each other uh, by passing notes through their servants. Mordecai sent word to Esther that she had to step in. She had to talk to the king about this slaughter that was going to uh, take place and beg the king to step in and stop it somehow. Esther sent a letter back to Mordecai and said this idea was crazy. Esther said that plan is a death wish. Anyone that would come into the presence of the king uninvited was risking a horrible death. See, if a man or a woman went to the king's presence and the king did not raise his golden scepter to welcome them, they were dead. It was simply just that easy. So this idea that Mordecai had, they tried to get Esther to go there. It was, it was crazy. It was impossible. And in her mind, she wasn't anything special. She was just a little Jewish orphan girl that somehow ended up in the palace. She didn't even really know why she was chosen. She didn't think that she was special in any way. And surely someone else could step in instead of her. Mordecai sent back uh, to Esther a very practical note this time. He said, look, Esther, I hear that it's scary, but you're also a Jewish person, and you will die if this law goes through. He said these words to Esther as well in Esther 4.14. He says, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. See, God had a plan years before he had put Esther in this place where she could serve and save the people of Israel. God had been silent, but he had been working, 
orchestrating all of these events to put this young woman in a place to help save the lives of her people. So she sends very bravely this last letter back to cousin Mordecai in verse 16. She says, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. She says, look, I'm going to do this, but I'm scared and I need courage and I need encouragement. She says, do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Esther went before the king in her royal apparel. I imagine her taking small steps of faith toward this majestic throne, every step fueled by love of her people and faith that God was going to take care of her somehow. But even if he didn't, she was willing to go and try to rescue her people. Every step echoed through the palace and off every pillar as she inched closer to the king. Years had passed since the king first placed that crown on her head and made her king. She probably worried if maybe the beauty that she had back then had faded and uh, whether or not the king had lost interest in his queen. But as she approached, the king raised his golden scepter and beckoned her to come to him. Chapter 5, verse 3, the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? And it shall be given to you, even to half of my kingdom. Not only was she not dead, now the king says, look, you can have anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. Now she could have blurted everything out right there about Haman and this evil plan to kill all the Jews, but she waited. And instead she asked the king to a special dinner that she had prepared for later. And she also asked that Haman would be invited as well. She waited. Now, Haman was excited that he got invited to this private meal with the king and the queen. He starts bragging to everyone. And check out this pride of Haman in, in uh, Esther chapter 5, verse 10. Haman went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them uh, the splendor of his riches and the number of his sons and all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced them above the officials and the servants of the king. Then uh, Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the queen, uh, to the king, excuse me, to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow I am also invited by her together with the king. In this moment, Haman had everything that he wanted. He, he was up there with the top of the top of the people. Everything was coming together perfectly perfecting sock, but for some reason, it wasn't enough because there was still that Jewish man, Mordecai, that would not bow down. He tried to be happy, but he was obsessed. Have you ever met somebody like that, right? Things are going fine in their life, but they have this one person that doesn't like them or did something wrong to them, and they become obsessed, and their whole life is eaten up by the fact that they somehow got to get back or they've got to see this other person fail. 
And they try every little thing is to orchestrate their fall. And this is what happened with Haman. He became obsessed with that person. Mordecai was his enemy. And everything he had and all this advancement, it all felt meaningless. It wasn't enough. Esther chapter 5, verse 13, he says this. He recounts all these things that are going awesome in his life. But he says, yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gates. He is obsessed with killing Mordecai. And race was a big part of it, right? You don't normally put someone's ethnicity at the end of their name unless you're a racist, right? Mordecai the Jew just tells you everything you need to know about Haman. Race was a big part of it. Haman saw Mordecai as less human than he was, and he couldn't stand it that that Jew was not bowing down to him. Verse 14, then his wife, Haman's wife, and all his friends, they give him some advice. They said, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made in the, in the morning. Tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it and then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman and he had a gallows made. All Haman's friends and wife say, look, listen, you got to kill this guy. And not only that, you got to build a gallows 75 feet high so that everyone from all around will see this man hanged and know that you don't mess with Haman. This makes Haman super happy. He's skipping and giggling all the way to the gallows maker to talk about how he wants this gallows to be made to kill Mordecai. But it just so happens, on that very night, the king could not sleep. I'm sure this is all a coincidence, right? No one's working behind the scenes. Verse 1 of chapter 6. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So that at this time, if a king couldn't sleep, they would read uh, these like, journals of everything that had happened. Right? And a lot of it was really boring, most likely, and that's why they would read to him. And it was found, written, how Mordecai had told them about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So the king looks back. Remember last week, Mordecai had saved the king from these assassins. And he had heard about this plot at the gate. And he says, look, we got to save the king. Esther, go tell King Xerxes all about this. And the king is reading through these records and remembers that time five years ago that Mordecai saved his life on that very night that Haman was going to make these gallows. And he realized that the king realized that he never honored Mordecai for doing that. He got nothing. So God had a plan. So he called for Haman, who just so happens to be standing outside his door, waiting to hatch this plan to tell the king about having these gallows to be made to hang that jerk Mordecai. The king calls for Haman in verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Obviously, the king's talking about Mordecai. He saved his life. 
But Haman said to himself, this is what pride does to you, right? It taints everything. And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight in more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let the royal robes be brought, and the king, uh, which the king has worn, and the horse of the king that he has ridden, and on his head a royal crown is set. Do you ever have somebody do that to you? They're like, uh, hey, what would be a good birthday present for somebody that, you know, just had a birthday coming up, right? And you know they're like talking about you, right? And, and so you give them this, you know, huge, crazy gift idea, and you're just so excited. Well, that's what Haman's doing here. He says, look, bring the king's clothes, his horse, all this stuff. I, this would be a good idea to honor someone, wink, wink. And he let the robes and the horses be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. He says, have those gifts, bring it by an official, someone that's real important, and let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. And let them lead him on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman had this huge ego, and he gets confused and thought the king wanted to honor him. So Haman said, listen, you need to have a parade to honor this guy. The king loved that idea. So he gave Haman all those clothes, crown, and the horse, and he says, go to Mordecai and lead a parade through the square telling everyone how awesome Mordecai is. So Haman had to deliver these gifts to this person he hated and lead him through the streets proclaiming how great Mordecai was. See, God definitely has a sense of humor, right? Haman was so mad that he couldn't think straight. He had to get rid of Mordecai. Can you imagine the look on his face as he leads Mordecai through the streets? He was mad that this guy wouldn't bow down to him, and now he's leading his horse as everybody praises Mordecai. So Haman went to his friends crying and pouting. His day was ruined, and his friends were like, dude, that was bad. Like, you already hated this guy, and you were totally just humiliated. Just then, the king's servants arrived at Haman's door to tell him that he was going to be late to eat with the king and Esther. He'd almost forgotten. So he's like, at least I've got this dinner to, to distract me from this humiliating day. Esther chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, King's serious about this wish. He says, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you, unto you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. He asked her, what do you want? And she's ready to cash in on this Wish, And she says, King Xerxes, someone's trying to kill me and someone's trying to kill my people. And the only thing I want for you to do is save my people and me. Verse five, King Xerxes here said to the queen Esther, who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? Who and where is this person who's trying to kill you? Where's this scoundrel who wants to kill my wife and her family? Let me at him. And Esther points across the table. <laughs> Awkward, right? 
There he is. Verse 7, and Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And that was the end of Haman. Verse 10, so they hung Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the wrath of the king abated. One thing that we can read out of this is revenge is going to hurt you far more than it hurts anyone else. Many times the people that we're bitter at, they don't even know that we're bitter at them. And they are living a life that is happy and we are on the inside all eaten up. And we go to outrageous lengths to try and get back at them. I heard said once that revenge and uh, bitterness is like me drinking poison and hoping someone else dies. And that's what Haman found out. Proverbs 26, 27 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. And if you have this enemy in your life or this, you know, villain in your life, like Haman did, you better watch out. You better be careful because revenge will eat you alive. So not only was Haman killed, but all of the property was also given to Mordecai, everything he had. They also, between the king and Mordecai and Esther, they found a loophole to reverse the effect of the law that Haman had put into action to kill the Jews. They weren't able to say, you, you don't kill the Jews, but they were able to say, look, the Jews can defend themselves. And they gave them swords and they set them up. And so nobody wanted to fight, right? When it was going to be an easy fight, they were, they were on it. But the people were saved. And this is the amazing life of Esther. There's some big things that we can learn from this roller coaster life of Esther. First, you never go against God's people. Right? Haman learned that, a tough lesson that led to his death. God protects his people. Second is this, just like God put Esther in a specific place for a specific reason, God also put you in a specific place for a specific reason. Even though God is silent, he is still working. And that's the amazing thing about God. God allows us to have a free will and to make a decision that is bad for us and that he doesn't want us to do. But that's what sovereignty is, is he can still get us from there to where he wants us to go. There's no matter how many bad turns you have made, God can still get you where he wants you to go. You've had that happen before probably, right? where you've heard the story of a guy that, you know, goes and asks for directions somewhere. He's lost. Tori and I were lost the other day. Uh, let me just tell this story about her. It's a great time to do it. Uh, we went apple picking, right, all up in, like, Marietta, and an awesome place, Hidden Hills, which is a great name because it's real hard to find. And uh, we, it, there no, no cell service. We made it there fine. But on the way back, we didn't know how to get back out of there. I'm driving. I'm like, I think this is it. Maybe it's not. And uh, Tori was looking on the map. And it wouldn't, it, we didn't have enough cell service to, for it to tell us where to go, but enough that where you could see a little map. And she said, I got it. We go this way, right? And well, after uh, five miles or 10 miles of a dirt road and three stream crossings in our minivan, <laughs> we made it. We made it. 
we made it. That's the end of the story, right? She did it. I don't know if it's the right way, but we made it. But sometimes we can feel like, you know, we ask those questions of a man somewhere on the side of the road looking for directions, and he says, you can't get that from here, right? You can't get that from here. And sometimes that's how we feel in our life where we are right now, that we know God has something big for us, and we know that God has something he wants to do with us, but we feel like I've made too many mistakes, and I can't get there from here. We see in the life of Esther, I'm sure she was confused about why she ended up in the palace. Maybe, we're not sure. I can imagine that this was against her will. She probably has anxiety and nerves and, and not feeling great about where she is. But God was going to use her. She had doubts. She was scared. She wasn't sure if she was going to perish or not. She had no, uh, you know, uh, angel from heaven that said, if you go to the king, you're going to be fine. No, she said, if I perish, I perish. And Esther was placed in a, a palace for a specific time and a specific person, uh, purpose. She followed God and had faith, even though she felt like it was going to cost her everything. And God used her in a big way. Who knows what God has planned for you? You are not an accident. You were formed and created in the image of God, and you have value, and God wants to use you for something amazing. Now, not everybody gets to be a pastor or a missionary, right? I'm sorry. You can't all do it, or else we'll all just have empty churches, right? But if you're a Jesus follower, you are in full-time ministry. God does have somewhere he wants you to serve. Maybe he's calling you to start a life group or launch a ministry to single mothers or uh, maybe it's even uh, being generous and starting to find ways that you can give to the community and give to, to God's uh, mission in the world. Maybe it's just telling that person that you know about Jesus or maybe it's going down the street and helping that lonely senior that doesn't get out much. I don't know what God's purpose in your life is, but I know he puts you on this earth, on your street, at your job for such a time as this. So let's be like Esther. And even when we're scared, let's take the steps and have faith and follow his plan and trust that even if I made mistakes to get me here, God can get me where he wants me to go. Now, don't give in to the temptation in these verses like sometimes we do. She wasn't standing uh, against some arbitrary thing that she didn't want to do. Don't misuse the story of Esther. She was standing up to save her people. She wasn't thinking about herself. She was standing for others, and it was God's purpose. It wasn't like, you know, your kids might try and say, you know, I'm going to stand up against cleaning my room because I don't want to do it, and it's for such a time as this. <laughs> now, that doesn't work. And don't... Don't put yourself as the hero of these stories. You are not the hero. Jesus is always the hero. And that's the amazing thing about this story is Esther is a picture of the gospel. Jesus also was willing to put his life in danger. And he was willing to step up and perish in place of his people. Now, Esther was able to avoid that greatest sacrifice, and God saved his people. But Jesus went and said, if I perish, I perish, and then did. And he asked. He didn't want to. 
He asked in the garden, said, if this cup could pass from me, I don't want to go through this pain. Who would? But he said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Jesus knew that he would bear our sin and our shame all the way to the cross. Haman tried to destroy God's people just like Satan is trying to destroy people today. But the gates of hell will not prevail and we have victory through Jesus. And one day Satan will be hung on his own gallows. See, Jesus had a purpose and a mission, a time and a place to step up. And he went to Calvary and he paid the price And he rose again on the third day, was seen of hundreds of eyewitnesses, and then ascended to heaven. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has a purpose for your life today, too. Let's ask God to show us what he wants us to do. He's not always going to show us, you know, uh, uh, 10 years down the road. The Bible says that his word is a lamp unto our feet not a spotlight 10 miles down the road. Sometimes that means you just take the next step of faith, even though you don't know where it's going to end up. When in doubt, start with the Bible. You're not most likely going to get some type of vision from heaven, you know, that's, that's going to tell you exactly where to go. But God has already given you what he wants you to do. Start with loving your neighbor and forgiving people that don't deserve to be forgiven, helping the helpless Speaking up for those that don't have a voice, putting others first. There's so much in God's word that you already know to do. So start there. God has something he wants to do with your life for such a time as this. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. The band's going to come. It's a time of reflection and meditation on what God has spoken to our hearts about today. So the purpose of a sermon and this message part of a worship service is not to come and listen and just, you know, hear story time, but it's to add things to our faith and to progress forward. And if we're not different tomorrow then it didn't really matter what we did today. So what do we need to do and change, and how do we need to be different tomorrow? Esther was scared. Esther was confused. But ultimately, she learned that God had a plan. And even though it was winding, and even though it was messed up sometimes, God still was able to pull something beautiful out of the ashes. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you even are a Jesus follower. It's not about a a magic prayer that you pray or it's not about baptism or church membership. It's simply this. Understanding and believing that what Jesus did on the cross is all you need. No amount of good works, no amount of walking old ladies across the street is going to get you with a right relationship with God. All the way back at the beginning of time, God created a perfect place and a perfect planet, and he walked with his people, 
and sin broke that. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they chose their way over God's way. And over and over again throughout history, people have chosen their way over God's way. They worshiped idols. They didn't go into the promised land. They began to be violent and tear each other apart. One of the pinnacles of the Old Testament is the statement, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Things were terrible. God always had a plan. Through his prophets and through the symbolism of the temple and the animal sacrifice, he pointed towards a future savior whose name was Jesus. 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, walked this earth and lived a perfect and a holy life. And he did miracles in front of people to prove that he was God. And then he climbed up Mount Calvary and he laid down his life on a cross. Not because he was too radical, because that was always the plan. And an innocent person died for all of us guilty people, absorbing our sin and the debt that we owed for the wages of our sin. See, sin separates Sin breaks relationships, and it broke our relationship with God. But Jesus made a way that we could get to God. You could call out today to God, the words aren't important. It's about a decision in your heart to choose what Jesus did on the cross as your only means of salvation. There's two options. You could pay the price yourself and the debt of your sin in a place called hell. Or you can ask Jesus to pay for you. You can call out to God with something like this right now. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin, I deserve hell. God, forgive me. I'm turning from all of that all the efforts I've made on my own and I'm turning to you. Save me. Thank you, Lord. There your heads bowed and eyes still closed. If that's you today, you made that choice, I'd love to follow up with you. You can write that on your connection card. I chose Jesus. I'd love to reach out to you. Give me an email address or something like that that I can follow up with you and, and tell you more about what's next. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray you help us to ask this question and pray this prayer. God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to help today? Where do you want me to stand up even when it's hard? Thank you, Jesus, for standing up in our place. In your name we pray. Amen.